tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. When you think about it, it's actually kind of crazy. People are investing real money, honest-to-goodness cash, in something called cryptocurrency. You can't touch Bitcoin with your own hands. It's not backed by a physical company. It's not backed by a government. It's not backed by gold, silver, or any other type of currency. Are we talking about a commodity here? Well, sort of. With commodities, at least there is something physical to represent your investment. With bitcoins and other cryptocurrency, the actions of people determine its true value. You see, it's not money. It doesn't jingle in your pocket. It doesn't fill up your wallet. You can't lock it in a physical safe or keep it over at your neighborhood bank. It doesn't retain actual value. The value is virtual. It doesn't follow the laws really of supply and demand. It's only as valuable as people decide it is. It's easily stolen if your computer gets hacked. And if you lose your phone, well, the first thing a dishonest person will do is go data mining. They're going to find your Bitcoin and then they hijack it. Yes, Bitcoin can be held hostage, even if it's fiat, meaning the government has declared it to be legal tender. It's still not backed by a physical commodity. Sound like a good investment? Well, it did to Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss. They purchased 100,000 of them back in 2013 when the price was $1,000 per coin. Well, after a 1,700% growth spurt, the value sits at, get this, $17,000 per coin. They're billionaires, but they're not the only ones. Bitcoin also inspired Patrick Byrne. He's the CEO of Overstock.com. He actually founded the company back in 1997 and launched the company in May of 1999. Overstock.com initially sold exclusive surplus and returned merchandise online. And today, the company continues to sell, well, just about everything. Home decor, furniture, bedding, closeout merchandise, and also new merchandise. It's a big company. In 2016, Overstock.com's revenues were $1.8 billion. And they have just about 1,800 employees. Patrick Byrne launched a $250 million initial coin offering. It's called an ICO. It's just about the largest ICO to date. Overstock.com is one of the first online stores to accept Bitcoin. And now they're making financial history. So, of course, I had to call him up and ask him for some insight. Patrick's just brilliant at explaining the pros and cons of Bitcoin and business. He's going to share his tactical plan in a sec. And you have to listen very closely because when a big business makes a move like this, it affects everyone. I'm America's digital pro, Kim Commando. And coming up, just sit back. You're going to learn from the masters about the future of Bitcoin, how to maintain them, how to store them safely, and so much more. I'm so excited about this. We are actually sitting back in this revolution of technology and watching it and participating in it. And you're going to want to take some notes, by the way. Whether you decide to get on board with Bitcoin or not, there's a ton of valuable information in this podcast.
In 2010, someone decided to sell 10,000 bitcoins for two pizzas. Well, today, that bitcoin would be worth, get this, more than $100 million. The total is 2681 uh, plus tip. You're going to pay cash one. Was it a good purchase? Or more importantly, was it a great pizza? Betting on the Bitcoin is kind of like investing in a virtual game character. You buy a character, then you play it until you've built up its worth, its powers, its strength, its treasures, its assets. Then you sell the character while it's still hot. Kids make thousands of dollars online doing stuff like this all the time. I mean, who needs an allowance when you have superpowers, right? Anyway, here's the ticket. Crowd participation is the key to determining the value of just about anything. If you use PayPal or similar cash management sites, you've already purchased into a virtual currency to some degree. I mean, when was the last time you actually saw all of your cash? You felt it in your hand. Cryptocurrency is just the next step, but it's also very, very different. So let's exit the cash system and let's go into the virtual investment world. Patrick M. Byrne, the CEO of Overstock.com, is here with us. He's decided to bite the bullet business-wise and boldly go where few businessmen and women have gone before. I'm talking about full force into cryptocurrency. This warp drive acceleration like this could possibly generate the biggest crowdfunding of digital currency of all time, meaning it'll get the public boost it needs to thrive. Hi there, Patrick. Welcome to our Commando On Demand podcast. Hi, Kim. Thanks for joining us today. Let's just dive right into it. When we start talking about cryptocurrency, you were a pioneer back in, what was it, 2014? You started taking it at Overstock? Well, uh, sort of January 9th. So we really made the decision in 2013. And what was the first thing that somebody purchased using Bitcoin? First thing that somebody purchased was a uh, like a deck chair or outdoor deck sofa or sitting, seating, something or other. See, I would have thought that the first thing that somebody would have purchased with a Bitcoin would have been something computer related. I would have thought that, but what we've learned is, what happens is, the guys say, hey, honey, you know, we want to support this company that started taking Bitcoin. Go buy something on Bitcoin. Go buy something on Overstock. So the women actually came and did the purchase. I think that's what actually happened. Yeah, what a great story. Yeah. So when you started taking Bitcoin, did you get any heat from it? I mean, did, did people mock you? Were you the butt of some jokes? I didn't get much people making fun of it. They thought it was kind of a weird thing to do. But I think that people knew better that if they made fun of it, they might look really stupid someday if it succeeded. So the best they could really manage is snarkiness. They didn't have the guts to actually make fun. You know, millennials, they don't really have the guts to actually take a position. There was some snarkiness about it. Well, I'm sure the tech bloggers went crazy, too. Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They loved it. In fact, there's a funny story about how it actually came about. Do you mind if I take a moment and tell oh, you? Oh, no. Please do. Please do. On around December 19th, 2013, a reporter, a female reporter, called. We were doing a story on something else. She talked about something else. How's Christmas going? This and that. In the end, she said something like, "You ever think you're going to take this newfangled thing, Bitcoin?" Well, I'd been doing all this research on it, and you know, on the general Dilbert-like assumption that nothing's too hard when you don't have to do it yourself. I said, "Yeah, yeah, I think we'll be taking that. You know, maybe by the end of next year or a year or two from now, we'll take it." Well, I mentioned that in this totally unrelated story. The next thing I know, over the next three or four days, I was getting Google. Alerts 
with our company's name in it, if, you know, in Korean and Thai and all over the world. <laughs> and they and they were talking about when I transitioned. They were talking about this company says it may someday take Bitcoin. And that's when I realized there was this whole subculture out there around the world who was tuned in on it. And so we got some developers together, you know, within right over the Christmas break and got them working. Slid, you know, put forty of them in a room, slid pizzas under the door for two weeks, and <laughs> out they finished the integration with Coinbase. Coinbase is a provides a wallet for us that it works really well. What a great story that is. And how did you foresee the explosion? I mean, because you saw it and, you know, I'm around this like you every single day. I, I can't really talk a lot of politics or anything like that, but I mean, I can tell you what's going on in the tech industry. And it's for me, the cryptocurrency has been bubbling, but I didn't really foresee it taking off like this. I guess what got me excited is actually the historic, I should say, aspect of this. We can think of it this way. For 6,000 years, humans, as we've been engaged in consensual exchange, we've had to solve this problem of trust. I don't know you. You don't know me. Do we trust each other? I'm giving you a camel. You're giving me a gold coin. Is the gold coin debased? So somebody creates an institution like a mint. And they say, I have the monopoly on violence in an area. I say, I'm going to mint coins, put my face on it. Anyone who debases that gets killed. It's a business model. It's a way of monetizing one's monopoly on violence. Well, there's all kinds of institutions that share that denominator, whether they're land titling offices or a visa card or, 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 or. They're really in place because for 6,000 years, strangers like you and I couldn't trust each other, so we each just trust that central party. We each trust the county land titling office. That's the record keeper. We each trust trust. I've been in a startup shop in San Francisco where they have 160 institutions of society. You know, everything from contract law to notary publics to et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, to a securities market like Wall Street, you can really say that what they are central institutions that are there because we can't trust each other. We each just trust. We'll all just agree to trust them. Well, those institutions, I would argue they sometimes get corrupted. But whether you set that aside or not, we can now achieve that purpose, not through those institutions, but through this crypto, through this blockchain stuff that you're hearing about. We can have trusted consensual exchange without needing those third parties. So it's disruptive on a millennium kind of, I mean, like for 6,000 years, we've had to do it one way, and now we can do it this different way. So all these institutions that bind civilization together, you're going to see what the internet did to publishing. You're, I think you're going to see this crypto revolution due to about 160 different industries, and some of those industries are private, and some of them are government offices, but it can all be done honestly and for near free and through using cryptography, through using the methods of cryptography that protect this, that, that run this technology we're talking about. You know, that's very interesting, and you touch upon a few things. I'm sure you know the story about tulips in Amsterdam, right? Right, 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 of and, course. And everybody wants to compare cryptocurrency to the demise of, of people using tulips as currency. Right. What do you think about that? I think it's mistaken in the following way. And, oh, I can't tell people the public strongly enough. I think people should be extremely wary of getting involved in the ICO game and cryptocurrency game. There's a lot of craziness and emptiness and some 
guys put up a term paper online and they raise 50 million bucks of stuff and just this real flim flam stuff and the public should be extremely careful including as you may know we have our own thing going on with this company called T0 and the public should say it's way too risky for the general public anyway i would say in general think of it like in the late 90s do you remember there were internet companies there was one i think that had a chimpanzee that rides to into a ghost town on a horse <laughs> yeah. i forget what the company was but i, I- I remember in the late 90s, there was this guy that called me up and he said, we just got $50 million for an online shopping site. Can we advertise with you? I'm like, sure, come on over. But anyway, yeah. back to tulips and cryptocurrency. Back to tulips. Well, so a lot of those companies crashed. So if that pet food company, whatever it was called, crashed, and imagine somebody looked at that and said, gee, this pet company crash, this internet thing is just a fad. This isn't going to go anywhere. If you could look back in time and talk to such a person, what would you say? You would say, well, you're confusing the underlying technology with what some entrepreneur did, what some company did. So yes, there are these different ICOs and coins, and I think a lot of them are going to go to zero, and everyone should be aware of it. But the technology that's underlying it all, which is this technology called blockchain, mm-hmm. is what's going to be so historic. Just like the technology underlying all the pet food disasters and stuff, the internet, that was here to stay in the change history. Now, there are some people that are comparing the blockchain to the gold rush in the 1800s. And that if you really want to make money at this, that back in the gold rush days, that the people who made the money weren't the people who were mining the gold. It was the people who were manufacturing the pickaxes. And, yeah, right. and they were also manufacturing the pans. What do you say to that? Well, there are plays in this space, which basically are plays on that. Ethereum is arguably the play on that. No matter what you're going to do with the blockchain, you can use the Ethereum. I mean, in a sense, what they've done is they're, they're manufacturing the picks and shovels. Right. Uh, I think that it's like Buffett said 20 years ago during the height of the dot-com boom when you had all these crazily valued stocks, he said, most of these are going to go to zero and some people are going to make a fortune, but you just don't know up front what they are. Make no mistake that this revolution is going to be bigger than the internet revolution and more political than the internet revolution. It's going to change history in a deeper way. What happens day to day and how these different coins bounce around and stuff is a different matter. But this technology that is powering it all is so disruptive. It's going to change the banking system and change government and change all kinds of financial systems. Well, certainly because, I mean, you know, I mean, if you look at the Bank of England, it has the queen on it, right? And, uh-huh. and she's personally saying that there's value in this money. And here in the United States, we have our own paper currency. And when I hand somebody a $20 bill, that bill is now gone on to pay for whatever it is. With cryptocurrency, that's where that blockchain mining comes into play, correct? That we are authenticating that transaction. Yes. It creates an immutable, transparent record of every transaction. So actually, you can create a system for, say, banking and securities markets where everything becomes totally transparent to regulators. They get full visibility they've always wanted, and they really don't get into Wall Street. There's so much within Wall Street that is misty and opaque and such that even when they want to know what's going on, it's harder for them to trace illegality and stuff than you would think. There's all kinds of ways it gets sort of tied and mixed with other stuff and separate and you can't really track it. But in a blockchain-based capital market, all of that can be completely transparent to regulators. And, and it's no great secret you're not a fan of Wall Street. You're not a fan of the stock market. Is this the reason why? Well, 
I feel like I'm Martin Luther pounding my 95 theses on the door of the church there. And uh, I grew up in the capital markets. I grew up in the holy church of capital markets. I used to be an academic. I've had some very famous economists as my mentors and teachers. And to me, capital markets are sacred. So to me, Wall Street is a sacred place. And so I guess I sometimes feel like people have forgotten when you're dealing around it, when you're screwing around in a capital market and shave playing games with the law, you are taking risks with other people's money, with you know, millions of people that you will never meet, widows and orphans, and their savings. Anyway, so I got a little infuriated when I went public, and I kind of found out that that was how it worked in theory. But there were some people who, back in the, uh, 10 years ago you know, on Wall Street, as you may have heard, they maybe have forgotten that in practice. Sure. No, they have. You know, the, the horror stories are all over the newspapers, it seems like, from time to time. And Right. Uh, I, I got an email a couple of weeks ago from a, a listener of mine who she wanted to know she could she should dump all of her 401k into cryptocurrency, you know, and didn't know anything about it. So the answer to that is obviously no. <laughs> no. Correct. <laughs> or your retirement fund. You don't want to do that. Um, just real quick, what's next for you? Are you going to go surfing in Australia after the rotator cuff? I'm hoping to. I'm hoping it's healed up enough that I can do that, or at least <laughs> t- stop in Fiji or something to, to work on my technique, which is horrible. <laughs> well, awesome. You need to get one of those electronic surfboards. I don't know if you've seen them. That or You probably have. I they, have. I, they look great. So have you tried one yet? No, I, I, I haven't, but I really want to try one. I looked at that, too. I was like, gosh, you know, then it could tell me like exactly when to paddle out and when to stand up instead of me just falling over like a fool. Catch a wave and you're sitting on top of the world. Like the surf's up with cryptocurrency, and if you catch a wave, you could be sitting on top of the world. But if you go surfing before you know how... <laughs> I was poking around, listening to stories about how people lost their life savings investing in Bitcoin. And I came across this guy, Hey Guy Green. Well, he actually calls himself Crypto K Guy. And this guy lost, I don't know, something like $100,000. He invested in Bitcoin before it was worth anything. And well, I'm going to let him tell us how he lost it all. I used to be into Bitcoin about five years ago. I saw it and I was really, really interested. I was intrigued. So I actually bought some Bitcoin. <laughs> I got to back then it was about a couple of dollars a coin, about $10 worth of Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin is to this day is it's gone. I lost that Bitcoin. It was actually on a hard drive that I had on a computer that was on. This is probably my second or third computer since then. And those coins are gone. And now those coins are actually, each coin is worth about $16,000 a coin. Ka-ching and ker-plunk right down the toilet. Poor Hagai. He didn't know how to exactly store his investment. But the good news is, he eventually made his money back, by the way. Now, with videos like this, you gotta watch out. Yes, most of these stories are true, but at the end, a lot of these guys are Bitcoin brokers. And guess what? They want your business, and that can lead to financial disaster. So what's the secret of using cryptocurrency safely? Up next, we're going to talk to one of the best, Andreas Antonopoulos. He's a world-renowned technologist and serial entrepreneur. He's one of the most respected experts in Bitcoin. 
I'm so jazzed because right now we have with us Andreas Antonopoulos. He's this world-renowned technologist, a serial entrepreneur. You know the guys. He's founded a number of Bitcoin businesses. He's launched several community open source projects. He's a permanent host on the popular Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast and a frequent speaker in technology, security conferences. You get the deal. He's got two books, Mastering Bitcoin and the Internet of Money. So what do you think about Bitcoins, Andreas? Since 2013, the maximum amount of time I have left currency, crypto or fiat on an exchange is 15 minutes. I transact weekly, sometimes more often. I don't day trade, that's not my purpose. I use it as a working currency. I get paid in Bitcoin, I get paid in Ethereum. Uh, I use these currencies to pay my bills, to live. And so I have to transact, and I often have to exchange, because I can't always buy the things I want with cryptocurrencies. How do I exchange? In and out. In, three confirmations, sell, ACH, or bank transfer, out. I don't even leave fiat on exchanges. I don't trust them to hold money. I don't trust banks to hold money. How am I going to trust a two-year-old startup that has six employees? So I don't leave money on exchanges. Now, that's difficult to do if you're day trading. And if you're day trading in this environment with these assets of great volatility, I mean, you're a brave person. But how do you store it? I mean, you have to keep it somewhere. Um, most of my holdings are in tiers. So think of it as warm or hot to cold all the way down to deep freeze, right? On the cold side, I hold a small amount, honestly, because this hasn't been a most profitable idea, jumping into an untested technology and not getting paid for a couple of years. But anyway, I have a small amount of Bitcoin that I hold in deep cold storage. That means that they're held on keys that are not instantiated on any device, that exist in such a way that they're encrypted with a memorized passphrase, which I have also communicated to people who might become my heirs, so that they don't get lost with me. And that's cold storage. Then I have an intermediate tier, which is on a hardware wallet, actually several hardware wallets. Again, pin protected, passphrase protected, backed up with mnemonic phrases. And then I go to the warm tier, right? I have a small amount of operating cash that I use for my businesses to pay subcontractors, etc., etc. Those are in multi-signature or multi-signature multi-factor wallets, in which case I'm the only party, but I have several devices that need to sign independently in order to exercise a transaction. And finally, I have my hot hot wallet, which is in my back pocket and is at the moment mycelium. I keep a couple hundred dollars, mostly for the purpose of giving everybody a Bitcoin as if I'm the Oprah of cryptocurrencies. You have a Bitcoin and you have a Bitcoin. Well, actually a millibit because things are going well. So to answer your question, I have tears and I never keep on my hot wallet more than I'm comfortable keeping in cash in my physical wallet as fiat. And I often have to move things around in order to manage it. Have you ever lost anything? So far, I have only lost Bitcoin through my own stupidity. Like, for example, misplacing a backup and then trashing my phone. I've lost small amounts, like less than $100. I've never been hacked. Fingers crossed, I don't assume I won't be hacked. I assume I might. But as long as it's on the warm side of my wallets, I can take that risk. I think it's great that we've got the Bitcoin masters like Patrick Byrne of Overstock.com trying to create improved peer-to-peer -peer environment of trust or something that's called blockchains. Patrick is taking a huge risk business-wise, trying to make that happen for you and for me. 
And let me explain the idea behind blockchains because I really need you to understand the concept before we move forward. These peer-to-peer -peer digital environments have been around for a while and they're super easy to defraud. So blockchains are completely revamping how digital transactions are conducted. You see, its main attraction is transparency because a ledger is created and this acts as a validated register of all peer-to-peer -peer transactions that occur. So every time a transaction happens, let's say in the transfer of a Bitcoin, the details are inserted into something that's called a block. The legitimacy of the transactions in the cryptographically protected block is proven through a sort of cross-check by miners within the network. So in short, all these blockchains are actually helping to prevent fraud. Now, let's say there was no blockchain and you had one Bitcoin token with an identifier assigned to it. And let's say you wanted to buy a new computer for one Bitcoin from Overstock.com because they accept cryptocurrency. But you also owe your Aunt Ida Bitcoin because you borrowed one from her six months ago. Without the blockchain, you could easily transfer that Bitcoin identifier to your Aunt Ida and to Overstock.com at the same time, and both transactions would be validated. This is common fraud, folks. It's called double spending, and it's one of the reasons why so few people trust peer-to-peer -peer transactions. Blockchain distributes a public record of all transactions and confirms a block before the transactions can be finalized. And then, voila, the probability of fraud is essentially wiped out. So we've got Bitcoin master Andreas Antonopoulos telling us not to put all of our eggs in one basket. We've got Crypto K guy who lost a ton of money by not practicing smart storage. So we can learn from the master's mistakes and also from that make wise decisions because as you know, knowledge is power. And then there are the naysayers. Every party has a pooper as they say. All inventions, revolutions, far right ideas have had to put up with naysayers. But I think you should hear all the sides, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so you can decide for yourself. In the naysayers camp, we caught an interview with the infamous Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. It's been over a decade since he was released from prison for, I'm sure you know all about it, the pump and dump swindling scheme. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's great. Martin Scorsese actually made the movie about him. It was a pretty big box office hit about his wild life in the fast lane of Wall Street. Well, Jordan's a little older and a lot wiser now, and he sees big problems with cryptocurrency. The, the biggest problem I see with Bitcoin is that they can steal them from you, like they hack into your phone or something. I know, I know people that have lost all their money like that. And also, it's just um, you know the idea that it's basically listen. I mean, currency all is air, I guess, when you think about it, right? But this specifically, because it's being backed by nothing other than a program that creates artificial scarcity, it seems kind of bizarre to me that it, it could really ever be sustainable forever without the listen. Again, you know, things go artificially up very, very high, and they go artificially down, right? The whole reason the Federal Reserve was introduced into the economy was to try to, try to hopefully cushion those blows and panics, right? There won't be a time when everyone is freaking out about Bitcoin and dumps it and God knows what's going to happen. Or like with Mount Gox, when that went back, and all of a sudden they found out that, wait a second, my Bitcoins aren't safe. It was in the bank and the bank is gone. There's all these bumps in the road. And I also think that sooner or later, a central bank or a, or a consortium is going to introduce their own cryptocurrency. And that is what's going to take hold. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't or shouldn't buy Bitcoin. What I'm saying is I personally, myself, 
um, would be very, very uh, careful about investing a lot of money in something that could vanish very quickly. Not a big fan of Bitcoin. I can understand why. People still don't trust it. But our resident debonair billionaires, the Winklevoss twins, do trust it. In fact, you could probably say they've mastered it. So much so that they're planning to offer cryptocurrency futures to the general public. And they claim that they have the most secure way to do it. Not all exchanges are created equal. We're a New York trust company. We are the most regulated Bitcoin exchange and custodian in the world. When you look at the prices across U.S. exchanges that are actually regulated, it's a very small deviation. They actually very much track each other. If you're talking about unregulated offshore exchanges in different jurisdictions that are highly risky, of course, there's going to be risk premiums. So what's it going to take to build all this investor trust? You know, I think it's all about getting more sophisticated players into the ecosystem. The Bitcoin futures product that we have been building and that is live right now, the first ever Bitcoin futures product with the SIBO will create for the first time an easy way to short Bitcoin. And so there will be a two-sided market, which will reduce volatility in the long run, increase price discovery and increase liquidity. So we think it's just a matter of time. If you look at Bitcoin today, it's one thing. If you looked at it four years ago, completely different story. We've come a long way. This is a starting gun with the new SIBO contract live. We think it's a starting gun to a whole new phase of uh, liquidity, price discovery, and sophisticated entrance in the market. In the end, meaning right now, Bitcoin's investment opportunity speaks for itself. It's pretty amazing. CoinMarketCap reports a market capitalization at around $293 billion. Just to put this into perspective, McDonald's is at $138 billion. Morgan Stanley is at $95 billion. Target Stores, $34 billion. Too good to be true? I don't know. Cryptocurrency crashes happen. In fact, we had one just a few weeks ago, and then it seems to bounce back. There are strong opinions on both sides, and neither should be taken lightly. I think the important thing is to be content with what you have and be willing to risk only what you can afford to lose, just in case. Meanwhile, I'm going to keep you posted with all the latest. Bitcoin is a huge deal. It changes week to week. So does the technology in general, by the way. So if you want to stay current with the latest in protection, technology, commerce, investment, security, more, it's a good idea for you to do it right now while you're thinking about it. Subscribe to my podcast. Of course, you have my weekend radio show to get tons of great information. But in the podcast, it gives me the opportunity to have these extended interviews with experts. And you get to gain all this knowledge while you're working out, you're driving, walking, whatever. So always subscribe, download, and listen. And be sure to catch my weekend radio show in your hometown. We have a 100% footprint across the United States with the Kim Commando Weekend Show. It's three hours of all digital stuff. And to find the station nearest you, head over to commando.com slash radio. Because after all, I'm Kim Commando, America's most trusted digital pro and expert. And I'm here because I love to help you navigate the world of technology, whether you're at home, on the road, at work, or in the marketplace. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining us. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. 
No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 